Welcome to the Value Perspective podcast on decision-making. We're a group of value investors working together on the global value team here at Schroders. As investors, we have to tackle decision-making in uncertain environments every day. In this podcast series, we speak to people from other walks of life who also share the challenge of making decisions in complex and uncertain environments. We cover topics such as how to think in probabilities, tools for overcoming psychological biases, and how we can learn and improve decision-making in complex environments. We hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Hi, everyone. On this week's episode, Andy Evans and Tom Biddle interviewed Az Phillips, an official pundit for the Barclays Fantasy Premier League, or FPL. Now, if like me, you're unfamiliar with the FPL, it is a large-scale game played by over 8 million people worldwide who use a fixed team budget to create a fantasy team of football players. These teams then accumulate points based on different metrics in relation to the performance of their real-life counterparts. In addition to his pundit responsibilities, Az is well known for his role as a strategy manager for the website Fantasy Football Scout, which has over a quarter million followers, and his popular YouTube channel, FPL Black Box. In this episode, Andy, Tom, and Az will discuss how to cut through a never-ending maze of data points to make good team selections, methods on allocating the budget to max out your team's performance, strategy on team rotations, including tactical short-term and long-term decisions, and of course, his star player picks for the season ahead. Enjoy. Hi, Az, and welcome to the Value Perspective podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, how are you? You must be, uh, you know, feeling pretty, pretty mad close to this close to the start of the fantasy football season. You know, how have things been for you the last couple of weeks? Yeah, they've been good. You, you kind of obviously have a pre-season. It's um, you're trying desperately trying to get content out. There's not a huge amount to talk about because, you know, you've, the season's over and, and people are on their holidays and not really focused on it. So you, you kind of you struggle a bit. But then as the season gets closer and closer, so many people start getting engaged and you know there's so much kind of appetite to to watch different videos and read different articles and, and stuff and I think that the first week before the start of the season is one of my favorite weeks because it's when there's most people are engaged you know there's I did a stream earlier with like 1300 people watching it which is you know kind of double a lot of the time of what we what we normally get over on, on the scout channels um, and, and it's really fun it's it's hectic but, but a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I suppose first and foremost for kind of the listeners, we should probably caveat that we are recording this the day before the Premier League season starts. So um, for me and Andy, and obviously more importantly, as you've joined us, say any kind of player-related comments, please don't, you know, hold us to the fire on those when this eventually gets kind of released <laughs> in about a week or so's time. So um, so yeah, just a little caveat there. So as just just for the benefit of, uh, of the listeners who might not be familiar with kind of fancy Premier League and also, also yourself, could you give us a a quick introduction into kind of uh, both the game, but also your background. Yeah, sure. So I work for Fantasy Football Scout, which is a, a website that offers kind of tips and, and strategies um, for fantasy football. So we've got lots of tools that you can use to, you know, compare different players, look at underlying stats um, and all that kind of thing. There's a transfer planner. We do videos as well on, on different things. So a whole host of, of different stuff. Um, I also do a, a podcast as well um, on YouTube called FPL Black Box. Uh, each week we kind of spend way too long talking about fantasy football decisions and, and strategies and things like that. Um, 
So as kind of, as you know, we, we tend to on this podcast cover topics and interview people from kind of lots of different professions, lots of different backgrounds, and they tend to be both the investment and kind of non-investment related. Um, today, we're going to obviously tackle decision-making in the context of fancy Premier League football, um, which is awesome, which is great to have you with us. Um, and I was wondering if you could kind of kick things off for us, for probably just like a brief summary on kind of what fancy football is, um, just for somebody who may not have played played the game before. And then in the context of that, kind of, you know, I would say how your role, but I suppose it's more fair to say numerous roles that you have um, within FPL, how that kind of fits in, if that's all right with you. Yeah, of course. You think that'd be quite an easy question for me, given that I, I kind of work full time and I, I constantly get asked what I do for a living and all that. But I still find it, it difficult and I still find it all a bit ridiculous to say that my kind of main job is is, is working in, you know, in a kind of fantasy game of a of another game. Um, essentially, fantasy football um, is, is, a, is a game where you pick players, real life players from from the Premier League uh, and they score points based on their kind of actions. Um, on the pitch so typically that involves goals assists uh, keeping clean sheets for defenders making saves for goalkeepers uh, and you know when, when I started playing there was probably you know a few hundred thousand people that, that played it and it's now we're, we're probably going to get close to nine million um, players playing it and the general engagement I think probably since mostly since the COVID years has, has just increased absolutely massively you know there's there's forums about it Twitter is absolutely huge You've got the community over on, on Fantasy Football Scout where I work um, and people just get obsessed with with the points these these players um, get and and trying to get as many points as possible and, and beat their friends. It's a very competitive and, and big community out there. Uh, great. And obviously, you know, you kind of, as you mentioned there, you kind of you run sort of, I wouldn't call them advice channels, but you run channels where you basically, you know, you give people insights, you give people tips, you help them out. But I assume you kind of, you run your own team as well. Is that is that fair to say? I do. Yeah, I've, I've played for a, a sort of 14, 15 years um, now, quite quite casually when I first started and got more and more into it kind of kind of over the years. Um, yeah, I mean, Fantasy Scout was was set up originally. It was, a, it was the first kind of site that offered tips and, and strategies for, for people who wanted to go one step beyond just doing their team in sort of five minutes before the, for the deadline and wanted to actually put a bit of research in. Um, it's not enough just to kind of know football. You kind of need to know which players are going to score well. So Kante, for example, is a perfect example. Obviously a fantastic player. Um, okay, he's been going downhill a little bit in the last few years, but you know, in, in his prime, he was one of the best players in the world, but absolutely useless from a fantasy football perspective because the things he does on the pitch don't get rewarded by points. So you need to know which players you know, are most likely to, to get points. And to do that, you, you look at underlying numbers and stats, who has the most shots. XG has, has changed FPL a lot because that's one of the best metrics that we've got to kind of predict future returns. Um, as well and you can you know there's hundreds of stats you can look at and people you know look for different uh, models and different algorithms to try and predict who's gonna who's gonna do well and it doesn't always work but when it does it it feels pretty good yeah as, as i've been looking forward to, to this podcast because um you know not, not only to hear about your decision making but but also i'm pretty horrible at, uh, at fantasy football and so to get any <laughs> tips would be fantastic particularly you know the day before the, the premier league starts um but, but maybe we can delve into a bit more detail on you know, your decision-making process. So let, let's start at the very start. What, what's your process for going out and picking players? You you touched on some of the data points you might look at, but what, what's the process you go through to get to, to your best players that you can pick in the league? Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of the number one um, bit of advice is, 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 it sounds really obvious, but pick players that play. Um, you know, a lot of the time you can you can go for for players who are maybe kind of rotation risks or, or going to get something out of the teams. I mean, Man City are, are, are a good example. You know, Pep likes to rotate those players quite heavily. So a player like Mares, for example, is is one of the best players in the world. But 
is in and out of that team so much. He's never really a, a kind of a consideration for us. So I, the first thing I do is try and pick the, the kind of the mainstay players um, of the team. So, you know, you've got like the, the fullbacks at Liverpool, Robertson and, and Trent play every game, so attacking, um, Salah as well, you know, Son, you look, you look for those kind of guys. And then obviously you can't just fill your team with the most expensive players. You then got to look at kind of some of the other teams um, as well and, and just make sure you're picking the ones who, um, who definitely play. And then it's all about stats really for me it's looking at players who have good underlying numbers from from previous season or have been do, playing well in in pre-season um as well uh, you want players who take lots of shots you want players who receive the ball kind of close to the penalty area uh that kind of stuff and if you can sort of uncover some gems like that then you, you should have a pretty good start and on, on that data do, do you find that actually you can take the history of players previous seasons and and the data they did and and extrapolate that forward is it actually useful to, to look at the history of a, an individual player yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, certain players, their, their role might change um, in the team. A, a good example of that was, was Bruno Gamirash uh, last year, um, plays, for, plays for Newcastle, kind of their, their big money signing. Um, he'd kind of historically played as a, a defensive midfielder for, for the team that he was at before. Um, and he kind of came into Newcastle, had a different role in the team. He was playing like further forward um, in the midfield three. And the stats started to kind of bear that out slowly. Um, and it's kind of caught a lot of people out because they were looking at previous seasons, looking at his role, but then that kind of changed um, sort of in, in the system he was in. So it's why pre-season is quite helpful because you can look at how teams are shaping up in pre-season and kind of work out kind of where, where they are. But generally speaking, historic data, I mean, you look at Salah, for example, he's the perfect fantasy football player because every single stat he has, shots, touches in the box, XG, it's all just consistently the highest. So it's really hard to make a case to go without him. Yeah. And how do you think about it? So we, we always have to think about things in terms of a, a portfolio. So you can't just... You know, focus individually on on the best thing, the best stock in our case, or the best football player in in sometimes in the, the case that you're looking at. You, you have to think about it in terms of what teams they play for. So how how do you think about um, exposure to different teams and not just the individuals in the teams? Yeah, it's it's a big thing. I mean, it's with with the, with the pricing the way it is. So uh, the one thing I did mention was that every every player in in fantasy football is assigned a price. So your Mohamed Salah is the most expensive player in the game. When you're looking at the promoted teams, Fulham, Nottingham Forest, obviously their players are, are really really low. So you obviously want the the uh, some of the best players, but you can't have them all. So you've got to kind of look down for, further than the league. And what you're what you're kind of looking at is is for players who are who are cheap or, or you think might do better than what their price tag suggests so a good example this year is, is in defense they the, the price of the defenders are really really low and what we've seen is a bit of a shift um, in defense over the past few seasons we've got more and more attacking fullbacks and I think it I think Trent was kind of one of the, the first players to really kind of be that that really attacking fullback you know Gary Neville I think said in his day they would never get past the halfway line but Trent's come in and he operates almost as a kind of you know winger or a striker at times uh, and then you've got Cancelo as well now for for Manchester City Perisic has just signed for Spurs incredibly attacking wing back and they're all really really cheap um, in the game as well so ideally you want to find players from top sides you want to fill your player you, you want to fill your team with players from top sides you can do that this season because of the the defenders being priced the way they are. Um, you then want to look outside of that. So then you want to look at uh, decent teams who have have kind of um, maybe players who aren't really being considered. Wolves, Wolves are a good example. They've got a player called Pedro Neto. Um, he's very cheap playing up front for them uh, this season. Wolves are a bit of a funny team. We're not really sure what we're going to get for them. But given that he's playing as a striker and he's classed as a midfielder, so he earns extra points and he's cheap. Uh, that's the kind of player that you want to kind of look to. 
Could, could, we, could we talk about that in a little bit more detail? Because you've got that obvious constraint of you've only got a certain amount of money to spend. So you, like yep. you said before, you can't just go out and buy all the best players. So how do you think about um, allocating that, that finite resource, that scarce resource around uh, to get the best team? Yeah, I mean, firstly, you want, you want to kind of pick your, your premium assets that you, you want to go with. They're, they're probably the, the first players that you that you want to go for. So we've, we've got a, we've got quite a few this season. I mean, Salah's the, the obvious one. Someone like Harry Kane, Hyungmin Son, Haaland is obviously signed for big money from Man City. De Bruyne, one of the best players in the world, is there. You can't have them all. So you, you've got to pick two, really. You, you, can, you can go for three. If you go for three, what that means is the rest of your team has to be really cheap and, and it massively suffers. So... Two seems to be around the kind of the, the way in which it's easiest to kind of balance um, the rest of your team. So you, you put you put those two in and then you look at, OK, what other players are really the kind of essential ones that I need? Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's he costs 7.5 million. Um, you know, Salah's 13, you know, half the price, but such an attacking player on set pieces, on corners, everything. So then you, you have a look at the kind of the cheaper players and put them in. And then you just kind of assess where you are really i mean the first draft i do is normally you know massively over budget and then i have to go oh no uh, you know now i need to now I need to take some players out and kind of get cheaper ones in um but you probably know at least four or five players that you definitely want in your side and then you kind of go from there you, you touched then about uh this kind of defenders being cheaper this year i suppose one of the things we haven't quite discussed there is the fact that you can kind of flex and change your formation as well yep. so you could actually you know you could have more defenders this year if you thought that was a good idea or less defenders next year how do you kind of think about that in the context of where you're going to kind of maximise points? You know, is, is yeah, formation absolutely. important? Is it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you have 15 spots in, in your team. Um, you pick two goalkeepers. You can only play one. Um, you pick five defenders. You have to play three. Um, you pick five uh, midfielders. And then you pick three strikers as well. But you have to have an 11 that kind of that starts. But the formation you play can change. So historically, 3-4-3 three, three was, was always just the formation that everyone picked you had three strikers up top you know we're going back to the Terry Henry Rooney Van Persie's Drogba's all these kind of guys um that's changed now more, more teams are playing with a false nine the defenders are obviously a, a bigger factor now and three four three is is almost dead you don't see really anyone playing playing with that it's much more the case people are adopting a four uh four four two like a, a Sean Dyche Burnley side um or going for a four five one um or something like that um I've actually got five at the back this year, just because I think that's where the the, the value is, um, as I said, in those kind of defenders. Um, there are some kind of problems that come with that. I'm, I'm a 5-4-1. It means I've had to go for two very, very cheap strikers who I'm kind of, they aren't going to play, basically, because the strikers are, are quite expensive. So I'm relying on uh, Sam Greenwood of Leeds, who isn't even in the in the first team picture. So there's, you know, there's kind of balances you have to, to have to make. I think 4-4-2 seems to be the kind of the most balanced um, formation but it's really important because if you want to change formation you have to make lots of transfers if you make more than one transfer a week that actually costs you points off your points total so if you want to switch from a, a 451 to a 343 you have to make multiple transfers lose loads of points not ideal no brilliant well thank you for that i suppose that, that kind of ties in nicely to kind of my next question so you know, we just we just gone through it, but you've kind of you've looked at the data, you've filtered the data, and then you've used your process to basically pick your best team. I suppose this is kind of where like the interesting part comes in because I think everyone's probably got a process before the season starts, and then mm. results start coming in, things start happening, and you can kind of see the people where they kind of just leave the plot and things go things go kind of pear shaped. Um, so one thing that's kind of interesting me, I suppose, in the context of decision making is kind of think this idea of a long term versus kind of a short term view. So the idea that actually, particularly in the context of what you mentioned, there's limited transfers. Is there a benefit to potentially 
picking a team that you think is the best at the start of the year and being kind of less uh, driven by any kind of distractions that you see on a day on a week to week basis and sticking with that team? Or is there much more kind of um, reward available from kind of chopping and changing the team on a regular basis? I mean, in the investment sense, there's this thing about not being able to time market, right? And mm. from our perspective, that the kind of that kind of lends itself to not overly buying and selling different stocks. And I suppose in the context of FBL, it's kind of about not buying and selling different players who may have had a poor week one week, but they could then have six weeks where they're absolutely superb. So how do you kind of balance that long-term versus short-term kind of view when it comes to your team? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. And I think it's probably the most difficult part of, of, of the game. Um, you know, for, for people who say that it's all luck, I think there is a, there is a lot of strategy to it. And, and a lot of the strategy comes down to trying to kind of work out when the emotions are maybe taking over some of that that decision making that you're making it can be very easy to be watching a, a game your player maybe gets subbed after 50 60 minutes doesn't get anything and then in the next game a player scores a hat trick and you think oh my god i need to make that move um over but you know you, you've got to look at well was there reasons why my player was subbed early you know did he have a bit of an injury a bit of a knock was it tactical that kind of thing and all those kind of things are what kind of can help you um you know inform i mean Every every year we see a player in, in the first game week score a goal. You know, it's it's been players like Romeo in the past of Southampton, who's a defensive midfielder. We've had Kante score in the past, for example. And the temptation is just to move on them immediately. Oh, they've scored a goal. They've got 10 points. You know, that's the kind of player that you want to get. But that's where the stats really helps because even with limited amount of data, you can see, okay, was that goal from Kante that he scored from 40 yards? Was that just a complete bit of luck or was he getting into good positions? Is there something in the stats that indicates that he could actually be a good option for me this season? So I try to weigh up kind of what I see in the game and then sort of look at the stats as well to kind of help make that decision. Because you've got to move quickly sometimes, um, you know, otherwise, you know, if, if a player is, has started strongly and lots of people are buying him and they've got good fixtures and the underlying stats are good, if you miss out on all those points, you can be really far behind others that have, that have started fast. So you've got to be flexible, but at the same time, I think patience is something that particularly over the last few years, I've learned to be more patient with the players that I select because you pick them for a reason and you've got to give them a bit of time at least. Can I, can I build on that a little bit more? So I've, I've got a, a friend, I'm not, I'm not going to name and shame them, but we've got like a, a draft system. And as soon as someone's scores a goal, he will pop up in the WhatsApp chat saying, I want to buy that person, transferring someone else, <laughs> and in he goes. But is there, and, and you were kind of talking about it a little bit, is there anything in terms of momentum for players? So if they do start scoring, is there an element of a, you know, the hot hand that they talk about in basketball or an element that you could get a, a run of goals in a short period of time? Or really, as you were saying, should you just trust the underlying data from a longer-term perspective? I think there is there is something in in watching matches that you don't get from from data and I've kind of always said that I think this idea of form and confidence um, and things is is something that that is important I mean you look at Harry Kane at the beginning of last season his his underlying numbers weren't too bad but he, he didn't look right he didn't look happy his body language was was very negative he didn't look like he was trying to make runs into the box in the same way he didn't look kind of energized and, and up for it like we like we've seen from him in, in previous seasons like when we saw him playing un, under Conte so there, there is definitely something in in that um, but I think you've, you've you've got to be careful with putting too much into it. I think the, the the biggest thing for me is always fixtures. I think that's that's normally the number one decision maker of whether I buy a player. If a player's you know scored a couple of goals in two games, but then plays Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool, 
in the next three and he plays for Nottingham Forest, you know, what are the chances that player is going to carry on that run against against three top sides? Whereas if a player has scored two goals in maybe difficult games and then has a, you know, plays Everton at home, Bournemouth and, I don't know, Crystal Palace or something, then it can be a lot easier to, to go for it because you can kind of carry on. Got, got to get Palace in there. Got to get Palace yeah, in there as one of the, as one of the weaker Andy, sides. Andy, Andy, Andy's just winced there as a Palace fan, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we'll let you off. Um, the other kind of element I think is quite interesting, and I, I have I definitely seen this kind of amongst my friends, is basically when it comes to decision making, you tend to see a lot of people kind of think about their team in isolation to begin with. And then naturally, as kind of the season progresses, and it becomes a bit more pressure because certain, t- certain numbers of people in the leaderboard are broken away. Yeah, you start seeing what I would kind of call people going from kind of an absolute decision making process where they're thinking about just the players they pick and how those players are going to perform, and then they start looking at it from what I would probably call a relative decision making process where they look at the guy and go, "Okay, well, my mate's got that so and so in his team, I've got so and so in his team, and the difference is going to be between how X, Y, and Z performs because they're the only three players that we have different, right? And yeah. there's obviously a temptation when you start breaking away to kind of think about this in a in a relative term, but also kind of lose your own personal decision-making process. Um, from an investment standpoint, you can kind of think about it in terms of kind of, I suppose, two, two kind of frames where you have an active manager who maybe comes under performance pressure, not because they're doing well, unlike FPL, but maybe because they're doing poorly. And what they tend to do in that sense is maybe track the benchmark a bit closer, which their performance is assessed against. So I suppose yeah. the question I'm trying to ask to you is, how do you stop yourself or is it a good is it a is it a good thing to to make that kind of relative decision making process when you're leading the pack and if, if it's not how how can you stop yourself what kind of tools or, or kind of processes can you use to basically make better decisions yeah it's, it's one of the biggest debates actually kind of in in the kind of world of, of fantasy football um we have, we have this thing called effective ownership and basically that tells you how many people um own own that player the reason it's effective ownership is because you can caption a player and they score double points so effectively, say Salah was captained by every single person that played the game, he'd have an effective ownership of 200%. If he had an effective ownership of 198%, for example, and you didn't even own him, that would mean that every goal he scored, your overall rank your compared to other people would absolutely plummet and you'd, you'd be absolutely finished. Um, but that's the kind of thing that can kind of distract you, I think, from, from playing your kind of natural game. Because th- there's there's two real things in, in, in fantasy football. You've got trying to be the best manager in the world, trying to get to that number one spot, incredibly difficult to do. There's a lot of luck involved and everything like that. Or you've got these mini leagues that you play with friends and, and against other people. Um, when you're playing in, in mini leagues against friends, it can be very tempting to look at the, the teams that people have got and say, oh, he's got Kane. I haven't got Kane. I should buy Kane, you know, just to kind of make sure he doesn't get too far away from me. It's the same with, with effective ownership as well, with the overall ranks, because you can say, okay, well, Salah is so highly owned. I need to buy him just because, you know, I'll, I'll lose too much too much ground if he, if he scores. To me, it's, it's, it's just the worst way of playing um, FPL. I think if you're, if you're invested, if you're, not, if you're not that invested in it, if you're quite a casual person, you want to spend 10, 15 minutes on it every day, okay, copy other people and, and you know, and you probably won't fall too far behind. If you're really engaged with it and you're, and you're looking at stats, making your own decisions, copying other people seems massively limiting to the way that you that you score points and earn because you're effectively like copying someone an exam you, you know you're co- copying people's mistakes rather than necessarily the, the best things um the best moves for your own team so my advice as always uh, would be to play your own game and, and do your own research and, and plan your your strategies and transfers kind of accordingly on that but that said it is scary when you've got a player who's highly owned and they've got an easy game and you and you don't own them so 
there's that element of trying to reduce the amount of kind of it sounds stupid but the amount of kind of like emotional damage that it can cause when you know maybe you're maybe you're a thousand in the world and you have a bad week and you go down to ten thousand it, it can ruin your weekend <laughs> yeah I, I sent i sent andy a, a link to a, a twitter kind of post last night which basically showed jesus something like 72 percent it's crazy um which is pretty interesting right but um but yeah, the high, he's the highest owned player ever um, in, in, in the game. And I'm not even completely convinced he's a great option, but I have got him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that goes all my, that goes all like I said a minute ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, we've got a process of um, going back and doing after action reviews to try and learn from our past decisions. And I think you, you did a, a kind of um, series on, on how you do something similar. So at the end of the season, you'll go back and review. Can, can you talk a little bit about that review process and also yeah, what, what you've learned over time from doing that process? Yeah, so the, the podcast that I do with um, Mark Sutherland, so Mark is, is the guy who created Fantasy Football Scout originally. So he was kind of the, he's called the kind of godfather of, of fantasy football because he was one of the kind of main guys that kind of pushed it forward. Um, so I, I do this podcast with him. It's called FPL Black Box. And the whole idea of it is to black box thinking, um, you know, Matthew Said looking back at mistakes and, and trying to kind of learn from them and, and be better. And it's difficult because sometimes it can be quite hindsight, right? You can say, oh, no, I... I didn't buy this player and he scored a hat-trick. Well, okay. It, were, were, the, were the signs there? Were the stats there? If they weren't, then you probably made the right decision. So separating the kind of outcome from the rationalization behind it, I think is, is really important. But th there's certain things that, that I do every year that, that I've, I try to cut down. And a, a classic one, for example, is making um, last-minute moves. So you, you plan a transfer all week. You think, okay, I'm going to get De Bruyne in this week. And then it gets five minutes before the deadline. And suddenly you think to yourself, oh, no, I don't want De Bruyne anymore. I'm going to get someone else. And then De Bruyne gets two goals. And, you know, the player that you bought in gets nothing because you haven't put that thought into it and the same amount of thought into it. You've made a kind of a, a, a panicked kind of last minute uh, decision. So there's certain rules that I kind of impose on myself now to try and stop that kind of thing happening. Um, one of them is, is no, no transfer sort of half an hour before the, the deadline, um, things like that, just to try and stop myself from making these kind of last, last minute moves. Um, another one is to look back at decisions that have gone wrong and just see if there's anything that I missed or might have missed um, in that. Were there stats that kind of indicated they could do it? I mean, De Bruyne got four goals, for example, last last season, and I, I didn't have him. And I know lots of people who did. And I thought, well, why, why didn't I get him? And I look back and he'd actually missed the last game, hadn't played um, at all. They just got knocked out of the Champions League. Uh, it, there was there was enough doubt around kind of where he was going to play for me to think, OK, I missed that, but I'm not going to beat myself up. Um, too much about it so I think things like that are kind of are kind of quite key uh, to try and eliminate that kind of hindsight um, bias you might have no, great and uh, I suppose it's only right that we try and give some of the listeners uh, we've talked a lot about kind of process we have touched on players but I mean there'll be a lot of people listening who are going to want to hear you know some kind of player recommendations or some kind <laughs> of things um, one of the things that I saw that you actually wrote a post on, on one of your channels was about kind of like hidden gems or like basically the most value the most valuable not valuable but the players who are representing the most value in terms of cheap mm. cheapness um and that might outperform um i did a bit of research and looked at some of the posts and one of the ones you called last year was robert sanchez from brighton um he was <laughs> only four and a half million but he had something like 10 clean sheets in 27 appearances um so my question to you would be if you're if you're trying to pick your, your big value picks this year um who would be the players that, you know, the two or three players that for you are going to be the, the kind of hidden gems for people when you're picking them? And 
I suppose more importantly, what's kind of driven your decision to, for it to be those players? What metrics, what kind of data are you looking at in order to make those decisions? Yeah, I mean, um, I wouldn't recommend Sanchez now, unfortunately. Now we've lost, um, I'm a Brighton fan, so we've lost um, Basuma and, and probably Cucurella is going to be out the door. I imagine he'll be out the door when this podcast goes out. So, uh, yeah, it's a um, bit, bit of a shame. Uh, yeah, I mean, ideally what you want to do is, is kind of like I said at the start, you want to find sort of players around the six million mark. That's kind of like a, the benchmark of a, of a cheapish player that, that play for kind of top top sides. So Martinelli is, is, is a great example. I'd say a lot of people are going for Saka um, or Gabriel Jesus, understandably, great players, but they're quite a lot more money. They, they both cost 8 million, for example. Martinelli is 6 million, so 2 million less than, than both of those. So if you've got Saka on your team, you're trying to save a bit of money. I think going down to Martinelli um, could, be, could be a good pick. He's, he's had a good preseason. Uh, Smith Rowe, who's his kind of competition, is, is out for a while as well. So we think he's definitely going to start um, those, those first few games um, at least. Uh, and then I'm looking at someone like Perisic, of Spurs, uh, he's he's a five point five million defender uh, who plays one of the top sides in the league. I can absolutely guarantee that that man is not a defender. He is one of the most attacking uh, wing backs I have ever seen. He shoots on sight. There's some question marks around his fitness, but he will be first choice in that Spurs side before long. He's he's probably the most value pick in in the game. I think in terms of his price to his um, his his potential. Uh, as well and I mentioned Neto as well I think Neto he doesn't play for a top side like I said is important but playing up front uh, for Wolves at just 5-5 five, five, um, he's a really good one and the last one I mentioned is uh, Bailey Leon Bailey of Aston Villa he's had a great pre-season he costs just 5 million good one to watch how um how do you think about some some of the data behind those yeah, so basically we're value investors so we're looking for companies where you're buying them where they're cheap relative to either their profits or, or their cash flows. And I guess you could do similar sort of calculations in terms of expected points. And yeah. I think you've got a system which kind of generates points relative to the, the value that exactly. you have to pay yeah. for them. So what, what, what's kind of your magic data points that you look at to, to kind of work that out? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've been looking at kind of uh, the value, uh, FPL value is, 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 a, is a thing. Basically, you just um, you look at total points. Uh, divided by price and you can look at that last season to see you know who are the players that, that kind of came out the best in that the thing with FPL is it's different you can't just build a team with all kind of value picks because you you there's no point you, you've got money to spend you might as well use it. if you did that you'd end up with about you know, 50 million kind of still in your bank so someone like Son for example isn't going to be a value pick but he's going to be one of the highest scoring players in the game so it's about finding that balance between the value picks who you know can complement the kind of the the higher um, the, the high, the you know, the 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 more premium assets kind of um, in your side. Um, on, on the kind of premium assets, like how, how do you deal with them? Particularly, so you know, th this year you've got both Haaland and Nunes coming in, and um, they, they obviously don't have a track record in the Premier League, so you can't look at their stats in the same way. And they're obviously going to be premium assets, which you're going to try and allocate yep. some of your resource to. But how do you deal with them when they don't have that sort of track record? Well, the correct answer is you don't and you leave them and you wait <laughs> because we've seen it time and time again. You know, Sancho coming into the league last season, big, big money for Man United, really struggled to adapt. Timo Werner, the, the classic example, come over from the Bundesliga, big reputation, fails to adapt. Havertz as well in his first season, only got the, the winner in the Champions League final, but he struggled, you know, for ages. Players moving over from other leagues do tend to struggle. And, you know, sometimes we see that not happened. Salah obviously came over from Italy and absolutely smashed it, hit the ground running right from the off. 
but the kind of from a from an investment perspective the correct decision is to wait and assess and see how they settle Haaland will be a success at Man City I have absolutely no doubt about that he is one of the best strikers in the world but he's come over and he's playing in a very different league it's much more physical than he's used to in Germany he's playing in a very different system not just for himself but also for Man City as well they haven't played with an out and out number nine for a long time so my advice is actually to wait wait and see on on Haaland and it can be difficult to do because he's a big money signing he's in so many teams going back to the effective ownership thing um but I think De Bruyne is there at around the same price he's proven in the Premier League he's had a great pre-season he hasn't got any of these niggling injuries that Haaland seems to have so the correct answer if there is a correct answer is to go for proven players in the Premier League with good track records and ignore the kind of new shiny toys at the same time FPL is a game at the end of the day we want to have fun and sometimes going for someone like Haaland is fun because you never know what, what they're going to do. So depends what if you want to have fun or whether you want to um, play the more sensible approach. Um, I would advise if you want to do well, to go for the more sensible one. And I suppose of the people, I know, as you say, there is people who do it for fun and there is some competitive elements in there. Um, and obviously each year somebody has to win, right? Somebody yep. has to win the leaderboard, the global leaderboard. Are there any kind of like common traits or any kind of uh, processes which I, I assume you probably spoke to some of the, the winners yeah. of FPL before? Is there anything that in their kind of decision making process or or their kind of um, rationale philosophy behind FPL that stands out? You know, is there is there a, is there consistent traits which you see amongst the people who end up winning year on year? It's a it's a very good question. I mean, I always try and eke this out whenever I do interviews with, with the people that have, have won it. I always ask that question. What what did you do this season to win it? And the answers are always really interesting. I mean, Josh Ball won it a couple of years ago. He's a he's a math, mathematician, um, you know, very, very smart guy. I asked him and he just kind of went, mm, I did exactly what I've been doing other years. And he very much put it down to luck. I think, you know, obviously the strategy side is important, but to actually win FPL against 9 million other people, even if you made statistically the best decisions every week, a bit like poker, doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going you're gonna to come out number one. Um, I think what's more interesting is to actually look at the people who consistently finish really highly in the rankings, not necessarily win it, but are always up there in kind of the top 10,000, 5,000, 1,000 year after year. There's, there's a guy, Fabio Borges um, in Portugal. Every year he finishes in the top 5,000 um, without fail. And that that consistency is is absolutely ridiculous, really. And we talked about it a bit at the start. His, his key thing is is patience, patience in players. Um, you know, not making too many transfers, not reacting too emotionally um, to things. And it sounds really easy, but it's a very difficult thing to do when you're into football and interested in football and watch a lot of football, um, and you want to kind of get on these players really quickly. But having that kind of patient approach. Is what is what really works for him at the same time though there are other people um who do well who have the complete opposite approach they will take lots of hits every week they'll make three or four transfers and do really well there's no strategy that can guarantee you you success but the patient approach tends to be the one that more often than not leads to leads to you know a better rank make good decisions and back yourself over a kind of a, a short to longer term period but also don't be afraid to admit a mistake it's a, it's a tricky balance that definitely resonates with with us and what what we do. That's for sure. Um, so we're now getting to our uh, our signature questions. We're going to mix them up a little bit. So I will ask you for, and you touched on it a little bit earlier on, for something which was a mistake, but down to bad process rather than bad uh, the bad outcome. Yeah, something that something that was a bad 
decision oh i mean i've made so many bad decisions um <laughs> over the years um yeah i mean a, a classic example was was timo Werner. um i think uh you know he it feeds into exactly what I was saying. He he came into the league. He had a lot of hype around him, um, and I you kind of all the all the warning signs I think were there that maybe he wouldn't hit the ground running so quickly. You know, very very different system he was playing in in at Chelsea. Um, you know, it was a it was a Lampard as as the manager as well. There was some sort of doubts around about how he was going to do, and and you know, they'd signed quite a few new players as well. The system was different. They had quite a tough opening run of games. And I just kind of got sucked into the whole hype um, with him, uh, and and I think looking back, that's something that I could have I could have avoided, and I probably would avoid now. Which is what I'm trying to do with Haaland, and it sounds ridiculous to say it sounds ridiculous for me to be advising not to start with Haaland, who's you know one of the best strikers in the world, playing for the best team in the world. But I do think there could be an adjustment period with him, so I'm going to not start with him, and you can come back to me in a little while and see how that how that rationalisation went. <laughs> Very good, um, and and then the final one. Um... Yeah, you, you, you've offered some tips. We've heard Neto's name mentioned a couple of times and Trent. But if you had like one gold dust uh, recommendation for, for listeners, what, what would you go with? One gold dust recommendation? Well, I think I think that in terms of a, a player or in terms of a general kind of strategy? I, I, I think if, you, if you've got both, that would be, that'll be awesome. If it's one which is, you know, kind of, this is the way that you should set your team up and think about it. Um, and you, you mentioned patience before. You mentioned, you know, having the right, split between not trading too much and sticking with players um but but also you know one player who you think yeah you, you need to have that person in your team i think in terms of strategy i think the one of the key things is to not just look at the players that you want but look at players who you think you might want later on down the line uh price they're called price points and it, it, it essentially means uh, there's there's different players who are cost about the, about the same amount of money so a good example is, is an eight million midfielder there's quite a few good 8 million midfielders. There's Luis Diaz of Liverpool, Kulazewski, Saka, Mount, Foden, all these kind of guys. If you don't have an 8 million midfielder, if one of those players starts the season really strongly, you're going to find it really difficult to be able to move for one of those players. Whereas if you start with one of them, even if you get the wrong one, you can move that player over quite easily. So in terms of the way you set your team up, you don't want to have you know a load of really expensive players and a load of really cheap players. You want to make sure you kind of hit these price points to kind of make transfers and, and moves um, a bit easier for yourself. Uh, so that's it in terms of strategy. Um, in terms of players, I think obviously we, we talked about Trent. Um, I think Robertson is probably the other one that, that I'd, I'd go for. He's He gets close to 200 points every season, which is a, a massive return for a defender. Lots of people are going for Nunes, who you mentioned. We don't know what his role in team is going to be. Uh, Diaz, I think there's going to be rotation with him and, and Jota um, as well. And I just think if you go for Salah, Trent and, and Robertson, you get three incredibly attacking uh, Liverpool players who are going to play every week, score big points. So triple Liverpool, those three. That's my advice. As uh, thank you so much for your time. You know, we, we greatly appreciate you coming on. We know you did a one and a half hour stream shortly before this, so you must be absolutely <laughs> knackered. But yeah, some really interesting insights there. And I'm sure there's plenty for, for listeners who, who play FPL right now to take away. And also anyone who probably hasn't might be interested in doing it anyway. So um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And, and yeah, we hope to chat to you soon. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.